What a great song and great testimony leading into sort of the discussion that we began last week. Because what would our lives be like if we spent our time listening to what the Father had to say about us instead of other people? What would our lives be like if we were to spend our time listening to what the Scripture has to say and how God defines us and for our identity to be based on God's thoughts instead of others or even the devil's thoughts? Melvin, thanks for sharing that. Because here's the reality. Bart, what are you holding back there? Lord, how mercy. How many babies have we had been born the past six or eight days? There's been like five of them. There's a call for volunteers for children's department. <laughs> Here's the reality, and I know you. And Tracy, I know your struggles. And Larry, I know your struggles. Sandy, as wonderful as a person you are, I know your struggles. Dave, I know you hear those voices. Colleen, you too. And Steve, yeah, Dave, Dave Johnson, as great as a guy as you are, I know that sometimes the devil whispers in your ear and he wants to lie to you. And he wants to tell you that you're not worthy. And he wants to tell you you're not worth something. He wants to tell you that you're invaluable and you're maybe amount, I'm never amount to, to anything. But let me tell you what, your Heavenly Father says something different. And that's the basis of this series called True Identity. And we opened it up last week. And, and I, I just want to go back again and very quickly remind you of, of, uh, of a passage of Scripture in 1 first, first Peter chapter 2. And you don't have to turn there, but I'll read it to you. And I'm going to read it to you in the, in the New International Version, the, NI, the NIV. But this is what Peter said to a group of people that were struggling and they were wrestling, probably listening to, to voices and they weren't, they weren't listening to the Father. And this is, what he, this is what he writes to them. And he says this. He said, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people. But now you are the people of God. Once you have not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Growing up, I was blessed to have a, a great dad. And I know that we bring up this conversation of talking about dads, and some of us may in this room may start to, to scream a little bit in our, in our seats and get really nervous because there are the good stories and then there are the not so good stories, aren't there? I was privileged to have a, a good dad, a great dad, and still have a great dad, but there'll come the time that he won't be here on this earth, but he'll be in heaven. My dad has always tried to be a faithful man. He has always tried to, to worship the Lord and to live by his commandments. But my dad had a great heritage behind him. And I remember the time that my, one of my aunts, who's now gone home to be with the Lord, she, she sent me an obituary of, of a, uh, my father's great-great-grandfather that was born back in 1844. I have his obituary. Unbelievable what was written about him. I wanted to be able to read it to you. 
Because for me, I, this was a sense of, that's where my dad gets it from. Listen to what was, what was written about James Nathaniel Brock, born December the 11th, 1844. Said that he went home to be with the Lord on March the 28th, 1925, at 80 years, three months, and 17 days. And I read this word for word that was taken. Brother Brock was the fourth child of a family of 15 children. If you'll look in your heritage, I bet you there's a bunch of families that had a lot of children. Because in those days, children were an asset, weren't they? Fifteen children. No comment. All who've gone to be with the Lord except for four sisters and two brothers. He was converted and joined the Methodist church at Mount Vernon. I often wonder if that's where my, my grandfather got his name. Sidney Vernon Brock. During his teen years, when he was in the Methodist church that was organized to share, and he became a charter member and remained a faithful standard bearer until death. He was known as a Bible student, having read the Bible through each year for a number of years during his later life. I wonder who put that in. You know, that had to be somebody that knew him close family. You know, when one day when you pass away, because that day is going to come, What's your family going to say about you? It goes on to say that uh, he was ever found trying to pattern after the bigger man, which he found in the study of the life of his Lord. No more useful and honored citizen and Christian gentleman than James N. Brock ever lived in the Sharon community. It was often said by those who had observed his life that he was among the best of men. It could no doubt be truly said, for he was a good man, full of faith and the Holy Ghost. But the reality is that's not everybody's experience when it comes to relationship with a father. As a matter of fact, there's some of you that have experienced the absenteeism of a father or even the abuse of a father. Just had a conversation this past week that we, that we, with a young man that was probably close to 40 years old. He said to me when I asked him, well, how's your dad doing? As calmly as he could, he looked me in the eye and he said, I don't know. He said, I hadn't talked to him in several years. I thought to myself, the bitterness that's there. Studies have been done over the years in reference to children and absentee fathers, and the stats are astounding. And you search the internet and you look and you can find poems and you can find stories and you can find books and you can even find music that's been written about people that have had to live life with absentee or abusive fathers. Matter of fact, there was a, two boys that were part of a band, and they wrote a song called Emotionless. Emotionless was their take on what it was like growing up without a father. I thought I might share some of those words with you today. It talks about growing up, the pains without a dad, and this is what they wrote. This is what their song says. Are you happy out there in this great wide world? Do you think about your sons? Do you miss your little girl? When you lay your head down, how do you sleep at night? Do you even wonder if we're all right? It's been a long, hard road without you by my side. Why weren't you there all those nights that we cried? You broke my mother's heart. You broke your children for life. It's not okay, but we're all right. 
I remember the days you were my hero, the hero in my eyes, but those are just a long lost memory of mine. I spent so many years learning how to survive. Now I'm writing just to let you know that I'm still alive. The days I spent so cold, so hungry, were full of hate. I was so angry, the scars run deep inside this tattooed body. There are things I'll take to my grave. But I'm okay. But I'm okay. But they're not okay. And I know this. There are some of you in this room today that are not okay because you carry the wounds of a father. There's a desire within all of us to love as well as be loved by our dad. And this desire is connected to our earthly father. And it's only a reflection of our longing for a heavenly father. And just as an absent T of an earthly father leads a void and turmoil, this is what I know. That the absence of a personal relationship with a heavenly father leads to an emptiness because our hearts have no peace until there's rest. And when we come to find and to know him personally. And you know what? The devil knows the power of a faithful father. Marco, he knows that there's a tremendous amount of power in a faithful, godly, loving father. Because it not only affects those people around him, but it also sends a reverberating gong into the generations to come, just like it was was my great-great-grandfather of my dad. And I have to believe that some of the way that my dad is is because of some of the heritage that was passed down to him. Stats tell us today that one out of three kids in America today are living without their biological father in their home. And of that, 31% of those children are being raised by single moms. One pastor said it this way, God isn't the reflection of your earthly father, but he is the perfection of your earthly father. And regardless of your earthly experience, this is what I want you to know today. I want you to know that you have a heavenly father that loves you. I want you to know that. And that he is the perfect father. When we come to trust him and we come to place our faith in him and receive him as Lord and Savior and we're able to call him dad, the scripture tells us, but as but for as those who received him and believed in him and accepted him, he gave them the right to become children of God. They're reborn. Reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from a human passion or plan, but the scripture says, but a birth that comes from God. 1 John 3, 1 says, See how very much our Father loves us, for he calls us his what? His children. His children. And that's what we are. For those of us that are followers of Christ, we're his children, regardless of what kind of earthly experience that you've had in the past. He is our Father, our Heavenly Father, and He loves us. I used to tell the kids, how much does Daddy love you? And that much? No. That much? No. That much? No. That much? Our Heavenly Father loves us. Here's some things to write down in reference to our Heavenly Father's love. His love is eternal. He's not off again and on again. Man, listen, he's not finicky. Okay, I love you today. I, I don't love you tomorrow. But he loves us. 
He loves us even before we were born, before the foundations of the world. Paul said as he spoke to the believers at Ephesus, even before he made the world, God loved us and he chose us in Christ to be holy without fault in his eyes. Paul would go on to say to the believers at Rome, he said, listen, nothing can separate us from his love. Nothing. And I have no idea what the devil's been whispering in your ear, but it's easy to pick up those, those sounds. You're unworthy. You're not good enough. And earthly fathers, sometimes we breathe those thoughts into our children, don't we? Don't we? Yes. Because of how we respond. It's not right. And yet we do it. And yet here's our earthly father whose love for us is eternal, without fault, before the foundations of the world. And there's nothing that we could ever do. Do not be fooled or mistaken. Don't. Nothing could ever make him love us any more or any less. I want you to read with me what the psalmist said in Psalms 136. Let's do this as a responsive reading today. I'll read the first part. You read the second part. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His Give thanks to the God of gods. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. Give thanks to him who alone does mighty miracles. Give thanks to him who made the heavens so skillfully. Give thanks to him who placed the earth among the waters. Give thanks to him who made the heavenly lights, the sun to rule the day, and the moon and stars to rule the night. Give thanks to him who killed the firstborn of Egypt. He brought Israel out of Egypt. He acted with a strong hand and a powerful arm. Give thanks to the one who parted the Red Sea. He led Israel safely through. But he hurled Pharaoh and his army into the Red Sea. Give thanks to him who led his people through the wilderness. Give thanks to him who struck down mighty kings. He killed powerful kings. Sion, king of the Amorites, and Og, king of Bashan. God gave the land of these kings as an inheritance, a special possession to the servant Israel. He remembers us in our weaknesses. He saved us from our enemies. He gives food to every living thing. Give thanks to the God of heaven for his faithful love endures forever. What's he saying? God's love is eternal. God's love is continual. God's love is without compromise. God's love is enduring. It's everlasting as well as personal. Write that down. Personal. God's love for us is more than just lip service. So many times we use that word love to describe things. Some of you have said that about the weather this past week. Oh, I just love the weather. 
Some of you said that about Friday night, about the Valentine. Oh, I just love the Valentine's banquet. Wasn't it great? Some of you said that about the food Friday night. Oh, I just love that food. But God proved his love when he chose to die on our behalf so that our sins could be forgiven. God used that word to describe his commitment to us. God is the one who made the first move. No relationship happens unless there's a starting point. And guess who was intentional in that? He was. There has to be an initiative. God doesn't wait on us to love him, but he loved us first. And he wasn't bashful about it either. He was lavish. The scripture says in in Romans 5, 8, but God showed and he demonstrated his great love for us by sending his son to die for us while we were still sinners. Man, listen, he was all in from the beginning. All in. He put his life on the line from the start. And he died not only so that our sins could be forgiven, but he also died so that we could have a personal relationship, so that a personal relationship with God could be established. He chose us ever before we chose him. And he not only knows us, and every hair or few lack of hairs we have on our head, He not only knows us, but he wants to be known by us. The psalmist wrote this in Psalms 139. Oh, Lord, you've examined my heart and you know everything about me. You know when I sit down or when I stand up, you know my thoughts. Even when I'm far away, you see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything I do. You know what I'm going to do even before I say it, Lord. You go before me and you follow me. You place your hand and blessing on my head. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too great for me to understand. I can never escape your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to heaven, you're there. If I go down into the grave, you're there. If I ride on the wings of the morning, if I dwell by the farthest oceans, even there your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. And a little bit later down in verse 13, He goes on to say, you made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. Look at the person next to you and say, you look marvelous today. Now, how many of you just lied? How well I know it, he said. You watch me as I am being formed in the utter seclusion and as I was being woven together in the darkness of my womb you saw me before I was born every day of my life was recorded in your book and every moment was laid out before a single day had passed how precious are your thoughts about me oh God man listen how precious God are your thoughts about me unbelievable and he goes on to say oh God they cannot be numbered I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand. And when I wake up, you are still with me. God's love is eternal. God's love is personal. God's love is also intentional. In 2 Samuel chapter 9, there's a story of David being the king of Israel. And as king, he now has the ability to do whatever he wanted. He was in control. May not have been unusual at that time for kings to be able to do away with or put away those who served in the, in the king's court prior to them just for, just for security reasons, if you know what I'm talking about. Here is a crippled man, though, that is, that is in 
that is, that is there that is inside the family of Saul, happened to be Saul's grandson, and it was his, one of his best friends, Jonathan's son, young man by the name of Mephibosheth. That's a good one to say three or four times in a row. Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth was a, was a crippled young man from birth, and he was viewed, could have been viewed as a liability instead of an asset because he couldn't do anything to help himself, but instead others had to take care of him. How many of you have ever had a, a time or a season in life where you've had to care for somebody? And it was an ongoing, long, extended time of care. That can be very difficult. My mom and dad have been walking through that time for many, many years. I have a sister that has Down syndrome. 49 years old she is. 49 years they've had to care for her. Over the past few years, it's been much more difficult because of dementia and other issues. Matter of fact, we thought we had lost her about three or four years ago. And since that time, it's been very difficult. She's had to end up with around-the-clock care, having to take her to the bathroom, having to get her up, having to bathe her, having to feed her, having to clean her up. I mean, feed her everything. It's exhausting. And if you were looking from the outside, you would say she's a liability. Maybe that's what they thought about Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth being crippled, both of his feet may not have been able to care for himself. But we see within the story of David here as king, he asks, is there anybody, anybody that I can be able to show mercy or grace to in, in reference to Saul and his family? And he could have, David could have seen Mephibosheth as a liability and had him killed, but he didn't do it. Instead, what he did is he brought him into his family. And he gave him back all of his his. Uh, his, his daddy's stuff. Gave it all back to him, all the land of his grandfather. He, he returned it to him. And he gave him a place at his table. <laughs> it's like he was bringing him into his own family. What a great story. You know, and we take a look at that, and you, we may not be physically crippled, but I want you to think about the fact that all of us are spiritually crippled. All of us are crippled by sin and we all deserve death. But just as David gave Mephibosheth a place at the king's table, God intentionally set his son so that we could be part of his family and be called his children. Mike, isn't that a great story? It's a great story. God's love is also unconditional. Write that down. It's not only personal, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's not only eternal, it's intentional, but it's also unconditional. Man, let me just say this. There is no question. God loves us. Take your little finger. If you got one, mine's, that one's crooked, so I have to do it with this one. And just point at yourself. And I want, I want you just to whisper this to yourself. God loves me. God loves me. God loves me. Even in those times that you aren't lovable. Anybody had any of those moments this week? Yep. Even in those moments that you've not been lovable, God still loves you. There are no exceptions. It's probably easier to say than believe. Sometimes when you're driving down the road and the sun is shining in your eyes, you've got to remind yourself, God loves me. Sometimes when you're hearing the voices, you got to remind yourself, God loves me. you got to remember who you are and your true identity. God loves me even in those times that I'm unlovable. 
God's love is unconditional and he is very, very consistent. Remember the story of the prodigal son in the Gospels. We find, and in that story, here it is, a son. He takes his father's inheritance and off he goes to squander it on, on high living. Goes out and just parties away. We can say this sin is always fun for a season. But then there came that time when he ran out of money. And when you run out of money, you know what else runs out? Friends. Everybody wants to be your friend when you got plenty of money. What happens when you don't have anything? And here it is, this, this young man finds himself in a quandary. He had left the safety and the comfort and the provision of his daddy's home, and he goes out and he squanders everything that his dad had left him. Father could have probably been pretty angry, mad. But here's this young man that that finds himself in this position, having to eat with the pigs. And he comes to say to himself, you know, even my father's hired servants had enough to eat. I need to go home. Fred, I need to confess my sins. I need to tell my dad I'm sorry. So he makes his way. And while he's on his way, here's his father probably praying the whole time for his son to come home. And then he sees him at a distance. <laughs> and as angry and as mad as he may have been, that old flesh inside, he'd been praying for his son the whole time. See, there's some of you that have children, may even be parents or grandparents or friends that have wandered away from the Lord. And man, you listen, you're at a quandary because there's that inside. You want to be bitter and you want to be angry. But I want to tell you, don't, don't quit praying. Don't quit praying because here's the father is hurt and as mad as he might have been, his prayer was always, son, I, I, want, I want him to come home. I want him to repent. And when he saw him, it didn't matter how, how many days he had waited and he had prayed. What he did is he, he took off and he ran to his son because he loved him. His love was unconditional. And you may have somebody out there that's sowing wild oats and in the meantime you're back and you're waiting patiently and you're praying for that day. And even though they haven't come back to this point, you continue to pray and you don't give up because God never gives up on us. And as much as you may love them, I want to remind you of this, and as strong as your love may be, God's love for us is even stronger than that. Because our God never gives up on us. As far away as you may stray, as difficult as you may be, God's love is consistent and it is unconditional. 1 John chapter 4, verse 9 and 10 says, God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is love. He demonstrated it. This is love. Not that we love God, but he loved us and he sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. God's love is also generous. Listen to what the Apostle Paul told Timothy. He said, listen, he said, when you're teaching people, don't teach those who are rich in this world. We talk about those who are rich. Every one of us in this room are rich. Every one of us in this room are rich because you have more than what you need. In consideration to the world at large, every one of us in this room are rich. 
And here's Paul teaching, and he says, teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud, not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable, but to put their trust in God who richly gives. Gives us everything we want? No. (laughs) But he gives us everything that we need. He watches after us. In the sermon, and there when Jesus is teaching at the Sermon on the Mount, teaching us how to live, and this is what he said in Matthew chapter 6. He says, that's why I tell you not to worry about everyday life where you have enough food to drink, enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns for your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you more valuable to him than they are? Right before this passage, Jesus is teaching, and he said, listen, be careful. Be careful where you put your trust and where you store your treasures because there are these earthly treasures that we can store up that will rust and fade But then there are those heavenly treasures. And our heavenly Father is generous towards us. And what God gives us is more beneficial than anything the world could ever give. Think about his mercy and his grace. Withholding those things that we deserve and giving us things that we don't deserve. The writer in Lamentations said this, God's faithfulness never ends and his mercies never cease. They are fresh and new each day morning. So God's love, man, it's eternal. It's personal. It's intentional. It's unconditional. And man, he gives it freely. God's child. Listen to that. God's love, man, it's, it's, it's all those things. And because we're his child, you can trust him. Have you ever given your child a reason not to trust you? I remember, daddy, throw me. Daddy, throw me higher. Daddy, throw me real high. There was a time, I must confess, there was a fan and I wasn't paying attention. I will not tell which one, but they walked with a tick. That's a, <laughs> that's a bad day in the life of a father, okay? Yeah. <laughs> You've done something like that, too. You may not admit it. I'm just, anyway. You ever given your child a reason not to trust you? I'm very thankful that we can trust our Heavenly Father doesn't let us down as an earthly father we're flawed the psalmist said in psalms 33 said for the word of the lord is right and true and he is faithful in all that he does man listen i make mistakes as mothers you make mistakes too we're flawed but our heavenly father never makes a mistake we can trust him with our lives living as god's child we can obey him You know, when we think about obedience, obedience is more than just doing what's right. Have you ever performed for somebody? you ever done what was right even though it wasn't really, it wasn't right on the inside? Have you ever said, I'm sorry? But you weren't sorry. You were sorry, but you weren't sorry. 
and you were only sorry because you got caught. You with me? Are we like tracking? Yeah. I'm sorry. No, you're not really sorry. Obedience. Obedience. We can do what's right and our hearts not be right. Yet John records in 1 John chapter 5, verse 3, loving God means keeping his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. We talk about obedience and joy. They're probably not two words that you believe would, would, would be in the same. Obedience and joy? Come on now. Are you kidding me? Obedience is never joyful. Or is it? There's a story in the Old Testament about a king by the name of Hezekiah. And we learn with inside of that story in 2 Chronicles chapter 30 that obedience and joy are used in, the same, in, the, in that, same, that same wording. Matter of fact, joy is one of the phrases that comes out of their obedience. When you read the story of King Hezekiah, obedience from the heart to a gracious God results in great joy. That's sort of the theme. Hezekiah, 13th king of Judah, he had a father that was a terrible king. Matter of fact, one of the worst there was that we find in the scriptures. And yet here is Hezekiah, when he becomes king, he, he begins to put into place the restoration of what his dad had torn down. His dad, his father had, had desecrated the temple. And then Hezekiah begins to restore it. At the age of 25, as a young man, when he became king, immediately he wanted to restore the temple. And he wanted to put back in place the reinstitution of sacrifices. And here it is in chapter 30 of 2 Chronicles. Here it is, the king, King Hezekiah, inviting the whole nation to observe the Passover in Jerusalem and to go back and to remember all the great things, just like we, we did this morning, the great things that God had done up until that time. And in the midst of that, they had this huge worship celebration where they invited everybody to come and to participate. And there's that running theme throughout that chapter of joyful obedience, not only in the southern kingdom of Judah, where where he was king, but he also invited the others to join them. There were others from the northern kingdom that joined him as well. And I love what it says in 2 Chronicles chapter 30, verse 12, when it sums it up, when it says this, it says, God's hand was on the people in the land of Judah, giving them all one heart to obey the orders of the king and his officials who were following the word of the Lord. That's a great passage. So here they are, they're getting together to worship and there was an attitude of great joy. And in verse 21, it says, they joyously celebrated. Verse 23, they got so excited, they were having so much fun, they decided to extend the celebration another seven days. Everybody in the entire assembly rejoiced. Verse 26, it said, there was, there was joy in the city as there hadn't been before since the time of Solomon and his reign. Their obedience resulted in joy. Obedience leads to blessing. Because we're a child of the king, when we obey him, there's blessings. Man, and listen, when there's blessings, there's joy. Author write down, just in, in a time, also write this word down, reflection. As a child of the king, I can not only trust him, I can not only obey him, but I'm also called to reflect him. Early on, Caleb would say, people would say to Caleb, well, there's, there's just no question who your daddy is. No sense in taking a D, DNA test. I mean, they knew whose he was. 
Who's your daddy? I mean, can they, are you a reflection of your father, of your heavenly father? Do you have some of the same characteristics that, that he has? I mean, or would somebody on the outside would say, hey, there better be a paternity test because he surely doesn't look like him. He doesn't reflect his heavenly father. So we better, somebody better pull out the test. We got to figure it out because it doesn't look that way. Even though in our earth, earthly presence, we will struggle with the interaction and the influence of sin, you have been changed as a child of the King. You're different. You've been born again. 1 John 3, 9 says, those who have been born into God's family do not make a practice of sinning because God's life is in them. So that can't, they can't keep on sinning because they are the children of God, a child of the King. We're to reflect our Father. Paul said, listen, don't, don't copy the, the behavior and the customs of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So what does it look like to reflect our Heavenly Father? Just a couple of things really quickly. Forgive as Christ forgave. Colossians chapter 3, verse 13. Make allowances for one another's faults. Forgive one another, who, those who offend you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. But that's hard, isn't it? But you're called as a child of the King to reflect Him. Not to hold on to bitterness and anger, but to be a reflection. And you know what? When you do, man, he looks like his daddy. He looks like his daddy. People take notice when we forgive instead of hold on. We're also called to accept one another as God accepted us in Romans chapter 15. Therefore, accept each other just as Christ accepted you so that God will be given the glory. Be holy as he is holy, 1 Peter 1, 16. For the scriptures say you must be holy because I am holy. You're to be set apart. Be merciful as God is merciful. You must be compassionate is what it says in Luke chapter 6, verse 36. Just as your father is compassionate towards you. Live a life of love just as Christ did, Ephesians chapter 5, 2. Live a life filled with love. Follow the example of Christ. Man, mm. he loved us, and he offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. When we come to believe in who Jesus is, and we come to the place of humbling ourselves to submit our lives to him, we have the privilege of having that relationship with a Heavenly Father that loves us. You ever had that? Do you have that type of relationship where you're, you're part of His family? Where you've become a child of the King? Where you've experienced His love? Where you've come to know that you can trust Him, that you can obey Him, and that you can reflect Him? I love it what it says in Psalms chapter 27. It said, even if my father and my mother abandoned me, talking in reference to my earthly, he says, the Lord will hold me close. And you know what? Some of you need to hear that today. Some of you, even though you're a child of the king, you've lost sight of your true identity and who you are, that you are a child of the king, that you are loved. And even though you may have been abandoned or you've been abused by your earthly father, 
you can trust your heavenly Father. There's a song that we're going to sing. Caleb, will you hand me my phone just for a second? Because I want to read you the words to this song. Um, Because the group's going to come and we're going to close out with this. Thank you, buddy. Don't send me no message today, okay? It'll go off on me. But these are the words to the song. Oh, I've heard a thousand stories of what they think you're like, but I've heard the tender whispers of love in the dead of night, and you tell me that you're pleased and that I'm never alone. You're a good, good father. Why did y'all do that to me? People sending me a message. (laughs) See, you done broke the mood. I know that. It's who you are, it's who you are, it's who you are, and I'm loved by you. That's who I am. It's who I am. Oh, I've seen many searching for answers far and wide, but I know we're all searching for answers, only that you provide, because you know just what we need before we say a word. You're a good, good father. Because you are perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways. It's it's love so undeniable I can hardly speak, peace so unexplainable I can hardly think as you call me deeper into love. You're a good, good father. I want to ask our overseers that are here this morning if they would come and, and if they would stand because this is what I know. I know this to be true. There are some of you here today that may not have a relationship with our Heavenly Father, and you've never experienced His love. And maybe you're like that prodigal son that you've been running, and you're out there in the middle of nowhere, and yet our Heavenly Father continues to wait for you to come to Him, for you to submit and say, man, listen, I've blown it. Now I want to confess my sin. And Jesus, I want to trust you today, and I want to follow you. And if that's you, even this morning, man, I want you to come as they sing this song. And, and, uh, and maybe you're here today and, and you've just been like what Melvin said earlier. You've just been listening to the wrong voices and to the wrong whispers that have, been, that have been coming at you. The attacks of Satan telling you you're not worthy or you're not valuable. And you've come to the place in your life, even though you're a believer and a follower of Christ, you begin to believe the lies. I, today, I, listen, I want you to know your true identity in Christ, that your Heavenly Father, He's here. And man, He loves you. Don't you need to be reminded of that today? So maybe you're here and you don't have a relationship with Jesus. You come. Man, we would love to be able to, for you to be able to talk with one of these gentlemen that are standing here. Sheila and Meredith, if you guys will come stand as well, there may be others. That as you come this morning, I want to give my life to Jesus. I want to experience what it's like to know a good, good father. Maybe you're here today and you're holding on to bitterness from the past of dealing with an abusive father or even a father that's been absentee. Maybe today that you need to come and you just need to ask, Father, take away this bitterness that's here. Maybe you need to kneel. Maybe you want to pray. Maybe even right there where you are. God will take it from you. This is a great time for us to not only sing together, but for us to be able to respond and recognize our true identity in Christ. Would you stand with me, Father, as we get ready to sing?
as we, as we lift our voices, would you remind us today of our true identity in Christ, that you are our good, good Father, and Father, you love us, and we can trust you, we can obey you, yet have the desire to be able to reflect you. Would you respond today as we sing?